Thank you, Bob. What a gift that was for all of us. Our reading this morning comes from one of our UU chaplains, um, Chaplain George Tiger, currently stationed in Texas. But he wrote these uh, words several weeks before returning home from a, re- a deployment a couple years ago in Kandahar. I am an Afghanistan war veteran. I don't want your pity. I've served two tours with honor. I've been shot at, blown up. I put friends into body bags, seen men die, sent them home for the last time. According to the popular myth, I should be a crazy, unstable, angry PTSD victim. I am none of these. The TV news says you should be careful around me. They say I need help. I will never be the same because of what war has done to me. When you look at me, don't see a caricature. When you hear my story, don't sigh and look away. When you think of me, don't wish I had never gone to war. War has not scarred me for life. It has made me more. I am a better man than I was before. I know the value of life more intimately. I know compassion given and received. I know courage seen and lived. I know love. For it is love that has kept me alive. Not bombs, not bullets, not body armor. These only kept me from dying. Love keeps me living. So it's really good to be with you this morning. I think I've met a few of you before. I preached here the Sunday after Gary's last Sunday when you all voted him to be the emeritus minister. That was such a beautiful occasion, and I was also here in part of Howard's installation service, so um, I've been here on two auspicious occasions, and it's really lovely to be here again this morning. When I was a young seminarian, I served as a chaplain intern at a veterans hospital in Martinez, California. Uh, My assignment was to serve on the psych psych ward. My first day... I was surprised and intimidated to find out that this was my assignment because although my dad had served in the Navy for four years following his graduation from college, I had little direct experience or engagement with the military myself that could help inform me in connecting with the patients that I would encounter there. And I had no experience in the mental health field whatsoever. But boom, there I was, the chaplain on the ward. I had a pretty steep learning curve, I will admit, and I'm sure at first I seemed rather young and naive. But thankfully in those days, pretty much everyone on the ward was in a haze of Haldol, so maybe they didn't notice my ineptitude as much. But it quickly became apparent to me that I was really the only staff member there who had the gift of time to offer, whose job it was to learn the stories of the men and women around me. So while everyone else was rushing around, filling patient quotas and taking care of medicines and tests and paperwork, I had time to take the smokers outside for a break or to accompany the patients who signed up for gardening therapy, which we had there on the grounds. I sat with the patients in occupational therapy, stitching leather wallets. I think I made over a dozen leather wallets that summer. And I listened in on group therapy sessions. I hung out in the patient recreation room, and I made myself simply available for a talk or a prayer. And people wanted to talk. 
They wanted to be seen, and they wanted to share their stories. I'm grateful in so many ways for the opportunity to work in that veterans hospital, because it turns out that now, serving as the director of ministries at our Unitarian Universalist Association includes a side duty, which I wasn't aware of when I first arrived there. I am now the official endorser of military and veteran chaplains on behalf of our association which is a role I share with some 200 interfaith colleagues who represent their faith traditions. So the Catholic Church has one endorser. The Unitarian Universalists have me. (laughs) And there's one for every faith tradition. About half of those faith traditions, by the way, represent evangelical Christians. Because being behind the barbed wire often means that our airmen, sailors, marines, coasties, and soldiers don't have access to exercise their free right to expression of their faith, the chaplains are there alongside to help facilitate their spiritual expression and provide pastoral care. You may not know that chaplains are non-combatants. They're not allowed to carry weapons. So they actually have to, to travel with a security guard at all times when in a war zone. They are on ships. They are in boot camp settings. In fact, one of our female chaplains is serving at the Marine Corps training base right now in California, where she runs alongside the Marines as they do their 13 weeks of boot camp. They are in in Army installations, they are in Coast Guard camps, they are on ships all over the world. And we Unitarian Universalists have been in the military chaplain corps since the very beginning. In fact, the first chaplain commissioned by George Washington for the Continental Army, was, in fact, the seventh minister of your church, Reverend William Emerson, grandfather of Ralph Waldo Emerson, and John Murray, who you may have heard of, the famous universalist who landed at Barnegat Bay, New Jersey, and brought the idea of universal salvation to our shores, was also among the first 20 chaplains commissioned. In fact, the universalists were looked down upon at the time, by the traditional Christians, and the fellow chaplains did not like that George Washington commissioned John Murray, and they complained. But George Washington himself defended him and is quoted as saying, I have commissioned John Murray as a chaplain, and you will respect him as such. And thus began a very interesting and challenging experiment in religious pluralism in the chaplain corps that continues until this day. Now, although this role is considered just a side duty, one of those uh, extras that appears on a long list of things, I have come to have a huge passion for this vital ministry, and I devote a fair amount of time to this role. We currently have about 18 Unitarian Universalist chaplains serving on active duty, reserve, and guard duty, with several more in seminary planning to join their ranks. To give you just a little window into the world of chaplaincy, I'm going to share a story from this book. This is George Tiger's book called War Zone Faith, and our first reading came from this book as well. George is married to Jennifer, and they have three children, so it's been, of course, difficult when he has deployed. But this is what our chaplains sign up for. And their job is essentially to make meaning in the midst of war. In this story, George describes rumbling down the street in the back of an MATV, which is a smaller version of the mine-resistant ambush-protected truck. They have been warned of IED, the 
the buried uh, bombs along the route, and also warned of the fact that no medevac copters are currently able to fly. I rumbled down the street in the back of this MATV. Piped into my headset is a soldier's combat mix, a surreal mix of death metal and southern fried rock. The convoy commander, 23-year-old, 23-year-old Sergeant Barley, navigates the four vehicles and 19 passengers through the ancient, crowded, and dangerous streets of Kandahar City, Afghanistan. There have been several IEDs found across the city in the past 72 hours. With vigilance and luck, all were found before they detonated. Still, we are prepared every time we go out to get blown up. Most of the time when this happens, the truck is mine-resistant enough to save lives. Most of the time. This is the backdrop against which I conduct my ministry every day. I'm headed to police substation one. Just a week before, a suicide bomber had attacked this PSS, killing a young soldier and wounding five others. I arrived 45 minutes after the blast and helped the remainder of the platoon clean up the debris and begin putting their lives back together. I prayed over the mangled body of the soldier before he began his long trip home. I helped mop up blood from the floors and walls. I literally dug in and did the hard work of combat ministry. This was not the first dead soldier I have sent home. He was not the last. I'm acutely aware that before I step foot on American soil again, there will be more. As an Army chaplain, my job is to help young men and women make sense of all this. But there are times I cannot make sense of it myself. In this place, existential questions are not philosophy discussed at coffee hour. While every human being must struggle with what it means to be human and thus to be mortal, zipping a black bag over the breathless body of a friend puts a new sense of urgency on the questions of life and death. And that is one of the reasons I'm here why I became an army chaplain, and why I rumble down the crowded and dangerous streets of Kandahar City nearly every day. As a Unitarian Universalist, I understand there are no easy answers. Instead, I seek to engage the young men and women I meet in the struggle for human meaning. Praetorian Base, this is Dark Horse 16. We are RP PSS 1 for Victor's 18 packs. We've got the chaplain for you. Roger 61, send him in. Already on his way. See you next time. One six out. I haul myself up the dusty entry road and into the now cleaned up PSS. Dropping my gear, I look around the scene. A new building stands there now where debris and death were not so long ago. A young soldier sees me from a distance and quickens his step to greet me. I have not seen him since I sent his friend home. He throws his arms around me. The embrace nearly takes my breath away with its power. Sir, I'm so glad you're here. We missed you, he says, with his arms still tight around me. In that single moment, all my questions, all my fears, all my confusion faded away. I knew why I was here, why I do what I do, and what it means to live in a broken and fragmented world. There's nothing in the world I would rather have done that day than rumble down the dirty, ancient, dangerous streets of Kandahar City building meaning in the midst of war. So you can see why I'm so moved by the ministry of our Unitarian Universalist military chaplains and all those who serve alongside them. 
But I also want to share a story that shows how important the place of our congregations are in providing spiritual substance and a sense of welcome and belonging to military members, their families, and veterans. Kimberly Sweeney went into the military as a 20-year-old. Now, I have an 18-year-old and a 21-year-old daughter, and so when I think of the age of our young soldiers, uh, it astounds me. So Kimberly was 20 years old when she joined the Army, and she loved it. She loved the physicality of it, she loved the structure, and she loved the leadership opportunities. A born and raised Unitarian Universalist, she couldn't find any religious services or personnel on her base who could serve her, so she left the base every week and attended a nearby fellowship. In her unit, she was one of four women, and as is unfortunately often the case, she and her female colleagues experienced a tremendous amount of sexual harassment. Eating a banana became a minefield, and she felt constant pressure to do everything faster, better, and stronger just to be seen as equal by her male colleagues. Her congregation was her one place of refuge every week, where she was treated with warmth and respect and where she could find the spiritual strength to continue. In her words... That congregation was such an intense breath of fresh air. Here was a group of people living authentically faithful lives, and they were asking those big questions with each other. I felt safe and held when I was sharing my profound grief, my joys, and my concerns. It was the only place I was called by my first name. The message I heard every Sunday was life-changing and life-saving for me. Now, I can understand that it can be a struggle sometimes for us as Unitarian Universalists to reconcile our commitment to peace with embracing military ministry. And I myself have long been a peace activist, and I honestly couldn't find be more surprised than anyone to find myself walking the halls of the Pentagon as a part of my ministry now. I go there regularly to meet with the chiefs of chaplains and to advocate for military chaplains. And I see William Emerson's picture on the wall outside the chief of chaplain's office of the Army every time I'm there. But if we are serious as a group about our first and seventh principles, which embrace the radical worth of every person, as well as recognize our profound interdependence, we need to allow for a more nuanced understanding of what it means to be a part of a society that is served by a large and complex military the most diverse institution in our nation, and one that is largely populated by young adults, 18 to 23 years old. Whether we are the kind of person who joins peace protests or lobbies Congress or not, those of us who are civilians and have never served are as connected and reliant upon our military as those of us who have served. And we collectively share the burden and the the moral and ethical wrongs that are committed by our military in war, just as we collectively benefit from the relative safety that our military provides us, as well as from all the technological and medical advances that come from the military. I don't know about you, but I have not got any maps practically left in my car because I'm relying on GPS. And where does GPS come from? The Air Force. Recent medical advances arise from the trauma of war, and those include things like tremendous improvements in emergency response team of capabilities. They can now provide blood transfusions en route. These are all the side effects of war. 
And there, of course, have been recent advances in the treatment of brain trauma and providing prosthetics and in pain management. It is our service members and our veterans who carry the greatest burden in all regards relative to military service. But what I'm saying is that we're all beyond the barbed wire. We're all connected, like it or not. And there is both richness and challenge to be found in a deeper, more mature engagement with the huge community of service members, their families, and our veterans. If we encourage, welcome, lift up, notice, and learn the stories of those whose experiences are different from our own. And thank you, Betsy, for sharing this morning about the declining attendance at the Memorial Day. Um, That's something for us all to consider. Two years ago at our General Assembly, one of my chaplains, uh, Chaplain Major Rebecca Montgomery, who is a cradle UU biracial minister who serves both as an associate parish minister and in the U.S. Army Reserve, preached at the service of the living tradition. This is the highest preaching honor in our movement at our General Assembly. Rebecca offered a very powerful reflection there on what it is to be the other in one's own religious family. But during her sermon, while most of the gathered community sat at the edge of their seats, drinking in her every word, which included stories of her own deployment to Iraq and her struggles to feel at home in our movement, one of our Unitarian Universalists stood in the back and offered his middle finger on his right hand as a salute. We still have a long way to go in understanding what it means to be a loving and respectful spiritual community and to make room for opinions and lives that differ from my own, our own. I later received this letter from a UU veteran who was there that day. Dear Reverend Lambert, thank you so much for highlighting our UU military chaplains and selecting one to preach at the service of the living tradition. When I first joined my congregation in 1996, I was told by several people that military service was incompatible with being a good UU. As a retired Air Force officer and defense contractor, those words hurt. I and many other active duty reserved and retired military veterans obviously ignored this sentiment, but it still hurts years later. Our departing minister, Mary Catherine Morn, was an army brat, as we say, and was obviously more aware of the needs of our military and retired veterans than many, and that helped. But the service of the living tradition seemed to me to bring to the General Assembly a long-delayed recognition of our chaplains and the often dangerous places they go to minister and those who desperately need that ministering. I understand the arguments about the military-industrial complex that many bring up, but how can we ignore the people in uniform, often with no alternative and yet filled with the desire to serve? This service of the living tradition symbolically reconciled the Unitarian Universalist Association with us, I think. I think I see your hand in this. Thank you. I was also very impressed with the quality of ministry that we're providing in the chaplains we endorse to the armed services. Thank you for that, too. This August, we will have been at war continuously as a nation for 25 years. Dr. Ed Tick, the author of Warrior's Return, points out that during our entire history, we've only been at peace for 12 years. The trauma of war is felt by our military service members and their families, by veterans, and of course by the innocent victims of war and those who are displaced by its ravages. But we have largely distanced ourselves from war and its aftermath. 
We send our young, vulnerable people there, but we ignore the devastating consequences. This is the ecology of war's invisible wounds, wounds, writes Tick. Multitudes of disabling symptoms among millions of survivors, public ignorance about their causes, occurrences and needs, government denial or resistance to diagnosis, treatment, and support, lack of wisdom or resources to address the wounds, and ignorance about and lack of success in effectively tending them. Instead of focusing on fixing our veterans or getting their symptoms under heat control, he concludes, we must ask, how can we bring our warriors home? You are part of the solution there. You can bring your warriors home into the heart of this congregation by signaling a welcome to veterans, their families, and to actively serving military members. How wonderful would it be, in fact, to have an American flag next to a rainbow flag on the front porch to say welcome. Thank you for listening this morning. It's amazing what we can learn when we all take time to see each other as human beings with a story to tell, a life to honor, and a spirit to respect. And blessings to you all on this Memorial Day weekend. May we one day live into a greater peace in which all souls are reconciled and all people cherished and safe.